I'm not telling everyone to become vegan, to become plant-based. But what I am saying is let's not focus on the food that we're giving up. Let's just focus on the plethora of plant-based ingredients that Mother Earth has there to offer us. And let's increase the, uh, the variety of foods, uh, plant-based foods that we eat for the sake of the environment. Because ultimately, it's not only healthier for us, but it's also uh, better for, uh, for Mother Earth. I'm Alejandra Schrader, and you're entering World Gone Good. Well, hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of World Gone Good, the podcast where we shine the light into the darkness and or find the light in the darkness to prove yet again that this life right here that we are all collectively living isn't so bad after all. Are you following us on social media, you stalker you? I hope you are. We are at World Gone Good Podcast on the Instagrams, where I share all kinds of good pics and memes and videos. And we are at World Gone Good 1. That's World Gone Good with the number 1 at the end, where I also share good stuff in the form of words and sometimes pics and shorter videos because there's a different time length on Twitter, apparently. Follow us. Follow us. We are always going to follow you back. And let's make social media a little more gooder together. Yes? Yes! Spoiler alert, I love food, and I also love animals, and I love the planet. On January 1st, 2014, I went what I affectionately have called almost vegan. I cut out meat and chicken and fish, though I admit I have had some fish a few times after that, and I already cut out milk uh, long before that because milk freaks me out when I even think about what it is. I'm just one of those people. A few months ago, I left cheese behind and eggs. If you listen to the episode Vegan Gone Good with Caroline Simpson, you'll hear that part of me leaving the eggs happening in real time. Now, the question, of course, when you make the move to plant-based eating is, how am I going to survive without pizza? and bacon, and shrimp, and that delicious sauce they make, you know, the one with the mayonnaise sauce, you know, with the candied walnuts, my good kingdom for a plant-based personal chef, and that's exactly where my guest today comes to the rescue. Alejandra Schrader is a master chef, literally. She has been on two different seasons of the series, Master Chef, and she is the author of the Low Carbon Cookbook. But I got to say, best of all, she is one of the funnest people to talk with. This is our very first conversation ever, and I felt like I've known her my entire life. Get ready, because you will too. But wait, there's something we got to chat about before we jump into our conversation. We promised that we were going to give away a copy of her brand new book, The Low Carbon Cookbook, to one of you lucky listeners. I made that promise on social media. If you're following us, you'd know I made that promise. Well, I'm going to tell you how to win your free copy. I'll even include the postage to send it to you because I'm that good of a guy later in the show. Well, I'm so pleased to have you here with me today. You are one of the many people who say yes, strangers who say yes, who I reach out to on social media. And the most important first question I have for you is, are you awake? You recently had a baby. How are you sleeping? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't get to sleep much these days, but considering that I am a 47-year-old woman with a two-month-old baby, 
Uh, that is just, you know, that speaks volumes. It was a huge miracle, unexpected. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things that like, I, I take it with a happy face because this, uh, sleepless nights that I'm going through, it's just a huge miracle and I'm excited to be a mom. My friend Heather had a baby at 46 and my friend Anna had a baby at 49. Oh yeah. I see. Like I, well, I, I didn't like, I did, you know, I've been married for a long time. I didn't expect it. I wanted it, but I had been told, um, uh, you know, the late, the latest time uh, about two years ago that I couldn't have babies. And this is one of those things that I accredit to my lifestyle and my lifestyle uh, eating, especially, which is plant-based. And I can't wait to talk about that with you. Yeah, let's go there. So here's my other next first question. When you were a kid, were you plant-based? When did you make the shift? What happened? Oh, no way. Not when I was a kid. I was definitely not plant-based. You know, I grew up in Caracas, Venezuela, in a middle, low, well, really to American standards, it would be a low class um, income-wise, right, Uh, family. So we had limited resources. I grew up with two other sisters and a single mother um, who worked really hard but just definitely couldn't afford to you know, provide fully for the whole family. And so we kind of just ate whatever was available. And that included uh, really not good for you food, like um, devil ham and, uh, (laughs) you know, and cheap cuts of meat. Um, But, uh, you know, it was a different, it was a different lifestyle, you know, altogether. Um, So no, definitely not. And in fact, my journey into the plant-based world, um, it's pretty recent, actually. Um, I think that, uh, so, you know, I, I became a chef or I, I, I transferred into the culinary world about 10 years ago. And ever since I did that, I've been really attached to the, to the sustainable community, like the, you know, the, the people in the food, in the food world advocating for a more sustainable future, more environmental friendly future and what that means is that especially living in the United States that I had to become um, educated first and then really aware of how animal food production happens in America and so after a few years of you know doing chats at the United Nations and going to the World Bank and traveling to um, like the World Food Forum in, in Italy and talking about sustainable food, I, I genuinely had to call myself and say, you know what, if you're going to talk uh, the talk, you have to walk the walk. And I knew too much. And so that was sort of like one of the first calls that I did to myself. Like, I really need to stop eating, um, especially red meat and, um, and, and venture more into a plant-based or plant-centric diet. But there's a difference between a plant-based centric diet and a vegan diet, right? Absolutely. And, and you know what the truth is, um, it depends who you ask uh, about the plant-based uh, diet. There's several schools of thought. So in, in my opinion, vegan, veganism, uh, which is very close, right, to a plant-based diet, it's, it's more than a diet, it's a lifestyle. And so usually uh, uh, veganism uh, falls under um the you know like the the belief that that we need to do the best to harm the you know the least amount possible animals and so they don't even wear um animal products like leather shoes or 
uh, you know, even to the the beauty products, everything, you know, it has to be from an animal advocacy standpoint. A plant-based diet, depending who you ask, it, some people actually think that as long as you avoid um, animal sourced products and you put plants on the center of literally the table or the plate, then it's a plant-based diet. Now there, um, uh, and I'll, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I have a certificate in plant-based nutrition and uh, this is done through uh, an institute, part of the Cornell University Network called the Center for Nutrition Studies. And it's led by T. Colin Catball, which is a doctor uh, the forefront of plant-based nutrition science. And f- for him, right, and those who follow him, a whole foods plant-based diet doesn't even allow uh, people to uh, consume any refined oils, not even olive oil, not even coconut oil. And yeah. I and I actually do use those in my recipes. So I don't fall into like that strain, if you will, of plant-based um, uh, all full disclosure. Cause I always feel like, you know, I have to be honest uh, so that people understand where I'm coming from. You know, li- late last year, I went down to, um, well, actually that's not true. That's 2020. So late 20, 2019, before the pandemic, I went down to do some humanitarian work, um, to Central America, to what they call the Northern Triangle, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And while I was down there uh, visiting, you know, these people are trying to give us their best meal. And yet there, you know, there was cheese on the table. Uh, They probably was, which I would have preferred not to, lard on the beans. And yet that's the only thing I had access to. Otherwise, it would have had to be, you know, chicken, pork, beef. And so there goes, you know, like I had to allow myself to just eat what was available. And so it it was sort of like a vegetarian while I traveled. Um, So yes, like I, I try to pursue the, 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 the plant-based diet that says eat more plants, uh, eat more diversity of plants. Like, you know, uh, I always say diversify your culinary palate, try to eat as many legumes, vegetables, roots, seeds, nuts, algae, and fungi. Now, let's take a step back here because you just said that you started this journey 10 years ago. Was this the plant-based journey or was this the chef journey? This was the chef journey. I was, um, my training is as an architect and as a a land planner. Uh, So I worked in development, land development, and uh, my focus was always sustainability. So even as a planner, even as an architect, I was very mindful of how what we built, how the way we live affects our land. So, um, and I, I mean, I can give you just like one little example, right? Like if I was planning a uh, mixed use and now we're thinking about like where the parking, you know, I wanted to work with like some type of asphalt that was not capping mother earth and that was permeable so that rainwater could go through and things like that. So I was always mindful of sustainability. So then what happens is we get hit in the United States by a big economic crash kind of started 2009. It didn't hit me until late 2010, beginning of 2011. And I lost my career. So at the time I, I went on a show called MasterChef. Oh yeah. 
Oh, you know about well, I've it. I've heard about it. Yeah, sure. We're going to get there. Uh, no, let's go on. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So, so you went on MasterChef. Now, question number one, how did you get on MasterChef? Well, I'm unemployed, right? I just lost my job. Right. Um, the entire development, like land development, real estate development world is shot off. And I had a huge debt, student loans, like over $100,000. Oh. So people start texting me like, Alejandra, there is this cooking show. But again, I'm unemployed, literally claiming unemployment at the time. Um, and you have to apply for this show. And I was like, what? You're crazy. But wait, like you're the best cook I've ever known. So uh, wait, wait, wait. Your friends are <laughs> hilarious because my husband does this to me. My husband, we watch cooking shows <laughs> and he's like, you should go on that cooking show. And I'm like, are you high? Ah, uh, well, aren't we lucky to have the best husbands in the exactly, world? Exactly. Or people who believe in you. So you, you these yes. people just circle. Now, why did they, yes. is it because they experienced your cooking? You had cooked for them. Yes. Got it. Okay. So before I got married, so my, my maiden name is Samora with a Z. Mm-hmm. And so I was known as Mama Z. In graduate school, I went to University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, go blue. Uh, when I was in graduate school, people would invite me to study groups just so that I could, because they knew that I brought food everywhere. <laughs> and so, right, so I'm being invited to study groups that I probably wouldn't have unless I'm bringing food. Um, and so, yeah, people knew me as someone that loved to cook, that showed her love through food. That uh, being from Venezuela, I cook ev- everything from scratch, everything with a lot of, uh, you know, just love and passion. And uh, and so, yeah, when I was, you know, what so, you know, when this show comes up um, and people knew that I was unemployed, they started saying, you have to apply for this show. I'm going to tell you one thing. I would have never gone for it because I was like, you're crazy. Like, I, you know, I may have thought of my own cooking skills as good. I just didn't think of myself as a TV person. like. That's that's just not you know I was a corporate like suit power suit wearing with high heels woman you know um, and the, th- the the thing that motivated me to do it was that there was a prize of two hundred and fifty thousand oh, dollars and sure. I owed and I owed a, about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loans at the time and so that was my motivation. Wow. So that so then so yeah the culinary career started right after MasterChef it was kind of funny um, I didn't win. But I, it's almost like I did because I was chosen as the fan favorite of the season. Now you went out, you went out on a on a raw pork loin, a raw pork tenderloin. Yeah, thank you for reminding me that. Sorry, I'm thinking. sorry. Look, I can go get the clip and <laughs> add it in. No, I'm kidding. No, no, not at all. Please do. Do you look back at that and say? That was the right time to go. I learned what I needed to learn. I'm ready to go. Or do you look back at that and go, damn myself? Like, what What do you look at it now? Okay, so the honest answer to that is, on one end, I had been gone for two and a half months. I, I, you know, when you're in a cooking company, like in any reality TV, you're generally not in contact with any family. Right. Uh, you know, my mentor who was a, my father figure, the man that, you know, walked me down the aisle, died while I was gone. Oh. Uh, and so, you know, like I was emotionally ready to leave the show. Right. I don't think it was my time. I don't think I was, I deserved to, um, to be let go. And so the sort of like the objective part is, Look, I was let go for a not raw, but undercooked pork loin. But now that I've worked in this industry for 10 years, I can tell you with all objectivity that my pork loin was cooked to 145 degrees internal temperature, which is 
cooked. Not, yeah, which is <laughs> which is acceptable. It's moist and you know pinky. But it, you know what? I, I will never regret what happens because it was that experience that allowed me to be where I am today. Ten years later, not only I am a chef with my own food, you know, business with my own line of spices. I've been on every single network in the United States cooking for big shows in Canada as well. I've, you know, talked at the UN and the World Bank and I've, you know, like I've had a full culinary career thanks to that experience. And so, look, it happened, uh, but it made me better as a person. Yes. And I have to say, like, I've said this before on our show, which is my mom was talking to my sister and she said, oh my God, I was telling your sister, oh, you're just so successful. You're so successful. Oh, he did this. He did that. Oh, we just recently did this. And I said to my mom, I go, do you know how many times I failed? I failed a thousand times for every time I've won something, but I'm so glad that I failed because it, it, for me, it fuels you to go on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everything, you know, like when you think it sounds so cliche, but it's true, right? Like when you think your life's falling apart, it's falling back together. Like I, if you think about it, right? So I lost a career in land development, focused again on sustainability. I started building a culinary career thanks to MasterChef. And then, you know, it was the combination of the two that led to my book, right? right? My passion for food, my passion for sustainability, but also the academic training that I had that allowed me to do the research that I had to do to put together the numbers and, and the sort of like the science-based foundation to why am I plant-based and why do I feel like I have something to say as far as motivating people to eat in a way that is not just good for their health and themselves, but also for the environment. So let's talk about it. It's the Low Carbon Cookbook, Reduce Food Waste and Combat Climate Change with 140 Sustainable Plant-Based Recipes. I read the cover. It's sitting right here. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. (laughs) And it's so interesting what you just said, because here's what's amazing about it. It is not until page 59, 59, it's chapter five in your book that the recipes begin. Yes. Well, so first of all, again, I have a huge passion for sustainability. The, you know, like I believed when I wrote that book that if I was going to tell you, look, I don't even, if you're trying to shrink your carbon footprint, I want you to make everything from scratch to avoid things that are frozen or canned because it's just, um, a, it accrues more carbon footprint, the more processed that it is. If I was going to ask you to make everything from scratch the way I am, or go make you find, I don't know, Romanesco cauliflower or I don't know, okra or, or some, uh, you know, not as common ingredients. I needed to tell you why that was. And that's what those first 59 pages are is first of all, laying it out that the climate crisis is not something that is going to come upon us in 10 years. We are experiencing it right now that, that a quarter, uh, yeah, about a quarter, 26% actually of the, uh, the human generated greenhouse, uh, gas emissions come from food, from the supply chain, from uh, chain, sorry, from supply chain, from the consumer all the way onto the waste uh, uh, sector. Uh, and, and so it, it, has, it has a huge impact on climate change, global warming and the environment. And therefore, it is going to take a collective action. Yeah, we're going to let 
food producers and in the food industry take care of their responsibility. But us as consumers, as people that cook at home for our spouses, for our children, for our partners, for our roommates, we can also do something at home. And that's what those first uh, pages were about. And I think that for a lot of people, and again, we speak about this on the show a lot, is that it almost feels like an ocean, like too much. It's yeah. too much for me to handle. I can't, my brain yeah. can't handle it. So it's almost yeah. like little baby steps. I was in the supermarket um, a week and a half ago, and there was a woman standing right by me, and she was looking at all the corn that was already pre uh, post-shucked in plastic in a cardboard uh, carton. And uh, I, won't, I won't buy that because right. I look to my right. And there it is in the husk for 18 cents, <laughs> you know, whatever yes, it comes out to correct, each correct. compared to the amount of stuff you're going to waste, the waste correct. we go through. So on that note, before we fully dive into the cookbook here, what are some of the things that people, what are the little bites people can take? Little, little things, little movements they can make like that, for instance, of just getting it, not right, in packaging. Right. What, what are other yes. movements? What are little moves can we make? Okay, so I first of all, I will I will tell you what most people think uh, being environmental friendly in their homes means. Like, nope, uh, using only uh, paper or you know cardboard straws, and like that's not going to help the environment. Like the the changes need to be a little bit more drastic. Um, but like you said, right? Like buying the ingredient full, avoiding the little plastic bags at the supermarket. Um, and by the way, there are uses for both the husk and the, 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 we call it the beard of the corn, you know, those little shreds. Little fuzzies. Yeah. Yes. There's use for both of those. And actually one of them is very delicious. It's a tea. Um, so it's not just for tamales, uh, the, you know, the husk. Right. Um, uh, there is, you know, buying in bulk, um, bringing your own containers to the supermarket. So that you reuse, you know, let's just say you, you know, like in the, you probably see it in the cover of my book. There's a little apple juice glass container that is being used to hold red lentils. Right. Um, because in that way, like the, the entire concept of reusing, um, uh, reducing, reusing and recycling, you know, it's true. Um, uh, definitely the, which is my message, consume more plants. I'm not telling everyone to become vegan, to become plant-based, but what I am saying is let's not focus on the food that we're giving up. Let's just focus on the plethora of plant-based ingredients that mother earth has there to offer us. And let's increase the, uh, the variety of foods, uh, plant-based foods that we eat for the sake of the environment, because ultimately it's not only healthier for us, but it's also uh, better for, uh, for mother earth. How did you decide on the 140 recipes? Uh, that was actually sort of a rent, you know, I didn't start with that number in mind. In fact, when I started, I thought it would be like a hundred but then I'm like, okay, so I'm going to show you how to make jackfruit tacos. I'm like, well, I'm not going to make you go buy a can of jackfruit uh, because then that means that it's probably coming from some remote country in South Asia. So, you know, so now you got to add the, the processing it, the putting it in a can, the bringing it over across the ocean. So I wanted to show people how to, you know, cut and cook the jackfruit from scratch. So there's one more recipe. Right. Oh, then coconut cream. Oh, I got to show him how to do that. One more recipe. And so it sort of started adding up. Um, 
But I, I and, and if you browse through my recipes, you'll see that I reference a lot to a section called make ahead. Yes. Right. So I'm basically, I'm trying to help people build a, you know, build a, 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 a number of ingredients that are already in your refrigerator or in your pantry uh, that by the time you get to make the recipe, it just makes it like, oof, like really quick. Now on that perfect note, cause you led right into it. What are the three to five must have ingredients in any kitchen, what are they? Ooh, well, that it depends. It really, it depends on personal taste. To be honest with you, because for me, it would probably be, and gosh, I'm not even gonna say one spice, right? Like I love, and and I don't mean heat. I mean flavor, right? And by and so I mean like smoked paprika, cumin, uh, cardamom, uh, coriander. You know, of course, pepper, salt. So that's a, a, it's just something that would allow you always to infuse uh, dishes with a lot of flavor. So I'll compound that for my own sake into one. Um, I would definitely say pulses, which here we call them beans, but really beans is just one group within pulses. So like lentils, garbanzo beans, black eyed peas. So all those dry uh, legumes that have a very long shelf life that don't need to be refrigerated, but they are packed with nutrition. They have so much fiber and nutrients like uh, vitamins, minerals, but they also have protein. Yeah, protein, Uh, protein. That's the thing. I was like, my mom and I, my mom and I, when I, when we, basically I am vegan, though I will admit, I do have a pair of leather boots. I have a leather belt in my closet. I still eat honey. Um, I got yelled at recently by a, a vegan friend of mine. That's okay. So, so you're plan based. You uh, but, know, see what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. if but but um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we be I I'll speak for myself. Like, I am plan based. I started being plan based for my health, and then again, you know, I go do my talk at the UN, and I left the building, and I was like, oh my god, I keep telling people to eat more plants. I, it doesn't really make sense that I go and eat a full you know piece of steak right now so i really need right. to change so that the combination of the two actually was really great because after three months of going plant-based all my levels my blood work was pristine three months that's all it took um so but right but but i i'm not i wasn't gonna get home and 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 throw away every pair of shoes that i had or every leather jacket you know like just because i was now uh you know, plan based. With that said, I cannot tell you that eventually the the sort of like the advocacy for animals took place. Like if I if you see how you know cows and pigs and chickens are treated in these you know animal production plants, and and it doesn't break your heart, I you know I don't know I don't know how you can live with yourself. And also, this is a conversation I had with my own mom again. I keep saying that. I'm like, I'm on an instant repeat on this show today. Um, (laughs) But this is something I've talked about on here too. My mom once said to me like, well, where are you getting your protein? And my response was, well, where did the cow get it? Exactly. Where did the chicken get it? I'm getting it the same place they're getting it. I'm just skipping the step of eating them. (laughs) Yes. 
Well, and if you check out um, on my book under, you know, the the low carbon diet, like when it explains like, where does my, where do I get my protein? I created like a really simple table and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just using the, the ingredients available that have the highest levels of protein. I just wanted to have sort of like a, a variety of foods that one can consume on any given day. Some that are packed like, you know, soy including tofu or lentils and some that don't have that much of uh, uh, like, you know, some fruit or some vegetable just to show people that with a, with a variety of ingredients, we can definitely meet that RDA, right? The recommended amount of protein uh, suggested for a person within a day. So yes, we can get all the protein that we need from plant-based foods. And, uh, and that's something that I get. In fact, that was the motivation to, for me to go get that certificate in plant-based nutrition, because I got, uh, it was almost like people, people thought they were putting me on the spot and that they were going to get me, you know, like, so where do you get your protein from? Um, and I, you know, I always said, you know, like lentils, soybeans, black beans, I'm a beaner. I mean, I'm, Come on, I mean, like really, I'm a beaner. I, I in Venezuela, our our national dish has black beans, and uh, and I love lentils and I love split peas, and uh, I always say this, which is, I mean, it's it's kind of like a joke, but it's a real uh, joke. My husband, who is a meat and potatoes boy from well, guy from Pittsburgh, um, <laughs> you know, when I first met him a, a century ago now. Uh, you know, he was like the in and out, you know, Harvey's going guy. And when I first made split pea soup, he looked at me like, oh no, you know, and luckily we were just, <laughs> we were just starting to date. And so he, like, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say no. And after he, he tasted it, he was like, oh my God, um, this is amazing. Actually, after that, I got in trouble because he called his mom and said, mom, do you remember how always hated your split pea soup where Alejandra Alejandra just made it and I loved it um oh that went over really well yeah I'm sure it did uh but but that is really for me is just a testament that when we infuse food with a lot of flavor we can make anyone love I you know I just think that there is the stigma associated um with plants you know with vegetables with beans Usually the bad joke is, ah, it makes you toot. Um, I think that the that is just a matter of getting our bodies and our digestive system to breaking down the fiber in in those foods. And you know what? Like to me, is worth um, the way I feel. The way again, you know, I believe it was me switching to a plant based diet that changed the paradigm and allowed me to get pregnant at an age that most women can't, and to have. To, well, first of all, to have the best and healthiest pregnancy and to have the healthiest, thank goodness, uh, baby uh, now in my hands. You know, I also think that the word diet got hijacked in the 1970s and 80s to mean something like you're missing out or yeah. less, you get less of something or you don't deserve this. You need to go on a diet. Right. And it's I like think punishment. that that's... Sh- Yes, and I think it shifted how people because diet is just means your diet. Yeah, this it's is, like a style of eating. Yeah, it's what you're eating. Yeah, it's just a style of eating. And look, as someone that you know, we started the show talking about like how I ate as a little girl, and um, 
and this is something that I really actually bring with me um, everywhere I go, because as a little girl with very, very limited resources, underprivileged, you know, actually, uh, and the fact that I wasn't breastfed as a little girl because of medical issues of my mom, that set me up as a human, uh, as, a, as an underdog. So I've always dealt with you know, issues of being overweight. Uh, actually, to be honest, at one point I was over 450 pounds. Wow. And so I, you know, sort of like, so like we're talking about a diet, right? Like I've always been on some sort of diet and right. I, like you, I cannot, I, I do not want to identify, a, you know, the word diet with restriction, with punishment uh, or with missing out because uh, as a plant-based eater, I get to enjoy so much amazing food. And if you look at me, you will see, I, I am not, you know, and I meant to say this, I wanted to say this because I know that I don't, I don't look like the typical vegan plant-based person. And, and by that, I hope that I encourage other people, whatever shape, size, whatever lifestyle they have to to feel like, you know, veganism, plant-based uh, lifestyle diets are not exclusive for the fitness community, are not exclusive for yogis and tiny skinny people. You know, um, I want to make, I, I want to encourage people to understand that this is something that we should all give a try. And I will refer to your comment about the corn. Plant-based plant-based diets are just cheaper. Pound by pound is cheaper oh, yeah. to buy you know, lentils or corn or broccoli. You can also, you can grow it yourself. Exactly. You can just make a garden for God's sake. Exactly. <laughs> and you can put some dirt down and you can go get a little packet of seeds for 99 cents that will blow up. Exactly. And, and, and you can look, there are, and I talk about this in my book, by the way, there's never the excuse like, well, but I don't have a yard. I don't have a yard. I live in a 900 square foot you know, plays. I have a little patio and I do grow. I grow, I love heat, right? So I grow jalapenos. I grow habaneros. I grow a lot of herbs, uh, a little, some tomatoes and some cucumbers. So, um, it's possible. Now there is an app that is called crust swap, crop swap. And uh, you can get other people that have in their yards, maybe they have a tree with oranges. And, you know, sometimes usually people that have these trees in their backyard, they either they, they're they sick of it or they don't have, they can't consume enough to get rid of all of them. And so by, by going on these apps, they're willing to share what they have in their home gardens, right. in their little plots of land or whatnot. Um, and, and worse comes to worse, you sign up for a CSA or you support your local farmer's market. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. We can always try to grow, even if we have a tiny little patio, something at our homes. When I hear what's in your garden, I just think add some ice and some vodka and we're good to go. <laughs> um, now let me ask you this about the cookbook. Yes. What is the signature go-to recipe in here that is like you personified? Oh is there a gosh. single one? I mean, there are 140, so this is um, hard to, you know, this is always hard to answer. But look, um, I'm Venezuelan, and there is a, so, you know, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Venezuela pretty much my whole life until my late 20s. Um, they, there's a saying in Venezuela that says, 
there's nothing more Venezuelan than an arepa. I don't know if you've ever, I guess I'll say yep. it with the, with the accent, arepa. Arepa. <laughs> yeah. Or well, we go arepa. Some right. Yeah. Say arepa, right. So uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, it's just a, I love, I love it. I, I call it like a, a round pocket of goodness. You know, it's a corn cake made with a pre-cooked uh, white corn flour and you stuff it with a variety of fillings. Of course, back in Venezuela, that usually means shredded beef or, or sh a shredded chicken salad or cheese. But um, in my book is a king mushroom, uh, a king oyster mushroom arepa. And uh, the king oyster mushroom shreds uh, beautifully. It, you know, has nothing to envy like a pulled pork or a shredded beef uh, type of protein. And I... I accompany it with some uh, black beans that have been mashed to pure perfection, some avocados, some microgreens. And so I think that dish definitely embodies me, the kind of food that I love to eat. This is, uh, you know, street food, handheld food, but with so much flavor uh, and in a way that it does not make you feel like you're sacrificing mushrooms And tomatoes, they both are plant-based sources of umami. So that means they have, um, you know, that ability to tickle your taste buds and make you want to shimmy. Okay, this is, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but this is my, before we ask the final three questions that I ask in every show, I got one last question to lead into it. Who in your family has read this recipe, a recipe in this book or recipes and said, that's not how you make it? Oh, I, well, I mean, I... <laughs> How did you know? I don't know. I had that weird feeling. Right. And especially Venezuelans when we have like this strong sense of, you know, national pride. Right. Um, I, you know what? It is true. That's not how we make it. I think my, my goal, and I was successful at it, was to make the closest version of the original in a way that does not harm the planet, in a way that minimizes the amount of carbon, you know, uh, footprint that it provides uh to you know to our own uh uh yeah to our own environmental footprint so i did um i did what i could and i think i found the best swaps um and you know what times are changing uh because of what's happening and because the climate crisis is upon us we really cannot afford to continue uh with business as usual and mm. so for the sake of mama earth Uh, for the sake of my own health, I am willing to sacrifice uh, to, to I'm willing to change a little bit the, you know, the, the comfort of the foods that I grew up eating just to make them uh, adapt to the new lifestyle that I follow. These are the final three questions we ask in every show. Don't worry. You know, all the answers don't panic. Here's the easiest one. Where do people find the low carbon cookbook and where do people find you online? People find me online at alejandroschrader.com. The Low Car Carbon Cookbook is available on all national retailers, uh, from Barnes Noble to Books a Million, and also on the Penguin Random House website. And I bought an extra copy, and I'm going to be giving, raffling one away to our listeners. So I love you for it. I yeah, love you and I'm going to for forge yours. I don't know you well enough, so I'm just going to forge your signature. Just kidding. Um, so. <laughs> The last two questions we ask our guests, this can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. Question number one, who inspires you? 
Oh my goodness. It depends on what uh, aspect, you know, of food we're talking about. Like I have some culinary mentors um, that I look up to very much. Uh, but I think I'm just going to say Dr. Michael Greger, who is the guy behind doing most of the research in the food space and how it affects the human body, you know, I think that there's got to be something in this for us. And there's got to be something that motivates us to pursue this plant-based diet. Right. Um, and so this guy is for me, like one of those, um, one of those, you know, doctors, one of those people who is using his platform and his research to, to give us the knowledge as to why do we need to make the decision to incorporate more plants into our life. And the final question we ask all our guests, again, can go back to anything we've already talked about, anything you want to say, really simple. This is how we go out. Tell me something good. Uh, we need to be kind to each other. You know, Mother Earth gives us 30,000, over 30,000 varieties of edible plants. And uh, the average human just consumes about 30 of them. And actually, 60% of our calories come from three. And so we, uh, for the sake of being kinder, we need to incorporate more and new ingredients. That's what good means to me. Thank you, Alejandra, for sharing your good. Grab her book, The Low Carbon Cookbook, wherever you book best. But wait, I promised one of you a free copy, didn't I? Yes, I did. Remember the top of the show when I told you to follow us on Instagram or Twitter? Well, it's all coming back to bite you. Start following us, or if you're already following us, either one, either place, that works. Just send me a DM on either Instagram or Twitter and say something like, I want my low-carbon cookbook for free, Steve, and I will randomly pick a winner at the end of this month of September. Good luck to you. Next time on World Gone Good. I want to make my community a better place. I want to make my community somewhere that's cool, somewhere that's safe, somewhere that is welcoming, somewhere that is uh, unifying. I just want to make a a change of, of real value. Johnny Brookbank, like many of us, found himself burnt out after the last year, heck, after the last few years even. He wanted things to change and he quickly realized he would and could be that change. He ran for city council, and get this, he won a seat on it. First time out, and he won. At the same time, he started his own charity, The Balcony of L.A., and he runs his own business, separate business from that, and he is a husband and a dad. I have no clue when this man sleeps, but I will tell you this, he will inspire you to do. Dio, do good stuff. I hope you'll join me. Until then, be good.